Roger Gales was um, one of the first people to reach out and just uh, welcome us to Bedford when we moved down there uh, now about six years ago. And he and his wife Susan took us out for, for dinner. And uh, we became um, Facebook friends that night. And somebody who was in our worship ministry at the church that I was leading in Rhode Island uh, messaged me and said, how, how in the world do you know Roger Gales? And I was like, how do you know Roger Gales? This is like a world apart here. And, and Roger was a worship minister at his home church in upstate New York. And Jonathan told me that um, he developed a love for the Lord and a love for leading worship because of Roger's influence in his life. And Jonathan's is just one story of many uh, whose lives were touched by, by Roger. And uh, the news of his passing um, really shook me. Uh, when we moved into our home in Bloomington, Roger gifted us a piano as a housewarming gift. And if you knew Roger, his love for pianos and tuning them and taking care of them and restoring them, it was a passion of his and he was gifted uh, at it. But he was just a good man and uh, we are going to miss him here at Sherwood Oaks. I know our Bedford campus is still kind of reeling, but just the community of Bedford in general, it's, uh, it's a loss that I think everyone is, is feeling. So yeah, as Emily said, please be praying for Susan, uh, for, for the family uh, that is just, just grieving. So... Before I jump into the sermon, let's uh, take a moment to lift them up. Father, I'm grateful for Roger's life and uh, for the impact that he had on me and my family. I'm thankful for the faith that he had that was just inspiring. And Lord, I pray that as uh, people gather today to remember and celebrate him, that there will be healing that takes place in that, even in the tears, and that uh, the joy that Roger just shared, that flowed out of him, uh, will be experienced even today as we uh, remember and celebrate his life. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hmm. There's a uh, scene in Luke chapter 9 that has always just fascinated me. Jesus knows that the cross is in his future, and it is getting closer and closer. And instead of running from it or trying to avoid it, Luke chapter 9, 51, which is kind of the pivotal moment in Luke's gospel, it says that Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Jesus turned his face towards Jerusalem. That's what that phrase literally means. He turned his face towards Jerusalem and focused on the cross. His eyes were set on the cross before him, and nothing was going to get in his way or distract him from the mission that he came to accomplish. But from where he was currently standing to where he needed to go, um, there was this village of Samaria that he had to go through. And the people, if you know anything about the relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans, there wasn't a whole lot of love between them. In fact, there was a gap in their relationship, you could say. There was a whole lot of animosity between the two of them. And the people in that village were like, no, we're not going to let you come into our town and we're not going to let you go through our, our town. They weren't interested in letting this group of Jews, whom they didn't really care for, pass through their community. And two of the disciples, 
uh, James and his brother John that were with Jesus that day, uh, they, they had this nickname, Sons of Thunder. And they certainly lived up to that reputation. They found out that these Samaritans weren't going to let them through. And so they go over and they're like, hey, Jesus, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and burn this place up? <laughs> and Jesus looked at them and was like, what? No, <laughs> like, we'll just go around. It's not that big of a deal. And I imagine in Jesus' mind, he's thinking, have you not learned anything from me? Like, have you not learned anything about loving your enemies, about forgiveness, about turning the other cheek? And James and John were just kind of going off of what they knew. They were going off of what was customary of, you know, getting revenge. They were going off of even something that they see in their own scriptures. The prophet Elijah, when he was faced with a similar situation, that's what he did. And so I imagine James and John were like, well, if it was good enough for Elijah, then Jesus, it's good enough for you. That, that, that Jesus had introduced a new way of handling the gaps that form between us. And it definitely didn't look like calling fire down from heaven. And I think in a way, this scene in Luke chapter 9 serves as a window into our world. Like we can, we can see our world through this window of Luke 9. We live in a culture that resembles James and John a whole lot more than it does Jesus. The people get fired up over the slightest offense or inconvenience. It seems like most people walk around with this undercurrent of rage and anger that is just always right at the boiling point. And sometimes it comes boiling over and just spews out on, on everyone around them. We see James and John when we look into our culture and into our world. But if we're honest with ourselves... <laughs> Luke 9 isn't just a window through which we can see our world. Luke 9 also serves as a mirror in which we can see ourselves. It's a mirror that kind of points out the James and John that still lives in every one of us. There's that same undercurrent of rage and anger that can live in us too. We can huff and puff at a, the slightest inconvenience or when things don't go our way or if someone does something that we didn't expect them to do, we can get pretty angry and we may not call down fire on heaven, but we've got our own fire and rage that comes out. And in those times when that comes spewing out of us and it falls on the people around us, it can create gaps and division and, and spaces in our relationship that create just even more hurt and pain. And those gaps, as we've talked about in this series over the last few weeks, those gaps require action. They, they require us to maybe confess and, and repent from the way that we acted and, 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 and apologize and seek forgiveness of those that were burned by that anger, by that moment. And sometimes it requires us to forgive the person who did that. And all of those are the ingredients that we've looked at that come together to form reconciliation and, and healthy relationships. 
So the question that I have when I read a text like Luke 9 is how can I, like how can we be more like Jesus and less like James and John? Like when something happens that creates space between us, how can I respond in love and grace instead of fire and anger? And I think it comes down to what we focus on. Because did you notice in the text, like there's two different focuses here. James and John had their eyes fixed on the offense. Jesus had his eyes fixed on the cross. The only thing that James and John could see was the offense that had just taken place in front of them. But Jesus had his eyes fixed on something much greater and much more important. Jesus' eyes were fixed on the cross. His face was resolutely set towards Jerusalem and what lied ahead. And when our eyes are fixed on the cross, our perspective on everything in life starts to change. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, we find the freedom to confess how our actions may have hurt others because we realize that we can be fully known and fully loved. The cross is evidence of that. And so it calls us out of hiding and into the light. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, we find the ability to forgive because the cross, when we look at the cross, it reminds us of how much we have been forgiven. And all of this comes from the gospel working in us and through us. It comes when we take what Jesus has done for us and we allow it to transform us to where it works in our life and and it influences our relationships. I said at the beginning of the series that the gospel gives us the power to close the space between us, and it absolutely does. We've seen that over the last few weeks. But the gospel doesn't just give us the power to close that space between us. It gives us the power and the ability to keep that space closed for good. So that's what we're looking at today. If you have a Bible or a Bible app that you like to use, turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. That's where we're going to find our text, Colossians chapter 3. And today we're going to see how the gospel helps us close those gaps, but then also keep them closed. And how the gospel helps us to be able to create and nurture and foster healthy relationships that are built on, 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 on what we see in the life and the character of Jesus. And how hopefully as we begin to take off the old and put on the new, we will be able to have healthy relationships and, and stop always being on the verge of calling down fire from heaven. <laughs> In Colossians 3, Paul reminds followers of Jesus that our lives have been transformed by his life, death, and resurrection. And that if our lives have been transformed by that, then it ought to be seen in how we live and how we act and how we treat others. Paul is saying, let the newness of life happening inside of you be reflected outside of you too. Now, those of us who are followers of Jesus ought to look more and more like him in how we live and how we act and less and less like the person that we used to be before Christ came into our life. And similar to Luke chapter nine, it all comes down to what we put our focus on. Look at our text. In Colossians 3, I'm going to start in verse 1. 
The Apostle Paul writes, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And that phrase that's used twice here, set your hearts, set your minds, it means to desire something and to strive for it. It's like saying I've got my heart set on that new grill as summer approaches and grilling season's about ready to be in full swing. It's like saying I've got my mind set on that beach vacation that is coming up on spring break and there is nothing that is going to keep me from it. Paul takes that image and he says, since you have been raised to new life through faith in Jesus, set your heart, set your desire, set your minds on the things of Jesus. Strive to reflect his attitude and his actions in all things. Desire him above all else. And that doesn't mean that we can't have other desires in our life. It just means that our desire for Jesus trumps them all. And this new desire is born out of our union with Christ. When we put our faith in Jesus, we identify and participate in his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism. We die to our old selves, our old ways of living, our old ways of treating others. We die to all of that, and we are born into new life with Christ, a a life that is hidden with him until the day he returns or he calls us home. And as we set our minds on him, this union with Christ has some very real and practical implications. Look at verse five. Paul says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now, You must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old selves with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator." Paul is saying, let the new life in you, this union with Christ, let it work itself out in your thoughts and in your actions and in your relationships. Let what Christ is doing in you flow out of you in the way that you live and in the way that you love others. And one of the ways that we do this, that Paul says, is by putting to death our old selves. And that that phrase, put to death, in verse 5, literally means to utterly slay. Utterly slay. There is a sense of urgency in Paul's words to put to death the thoughts and the actions and the behaviors of who we were before Christ so that we can live fully as the people that he is creating us to be, people in the image of Jesus. And this new life comes with some new clothes that we're gonna see later on. But first, we have to take the old stuff off. 
That's what it means in verse eight when Paul says, rid yourselves. It's taking off the old, dirty, stinky clothes that you once wore and things like anger and rage and gossip, things like a mean, just vitriol disposition towards others. Paul says, get rid of filthy language from your lips. And, and we read that through the lenses of our kind of 21st century morality. And we think that, well, Paul's telling us, hey, don't cuss. <laughs> but actually, I think that he means more than that. I don't think that Paul um, has in his mind uh, George Carlin's seven words that you can't say when he writes <laughs> this passage. The, the word that he uses about filthy language is so much deeper and more meaningful than that. What, what Paul is addressing here is abusive language towards others. It's language that cuts, that tears down. It, it's language that is meant to make someone crumble. Paul is condemning verbal abuse and he says that it has no place in the life of someone who follows Jesus. And so Paul pleads with us to take off the old and to put on the new that Jesus is giving us to wear. And these are clothes of his goodness and his righteousness and his grace, clothes that bind us together as brothers and sisters in Christ, no matter what differences we may have. And he says this in a verse that kind of sticks out a little bit as unusual in the flow of Colossians chapter three. Look at verse 11. He says, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. When Paul says here, in verse 11, what he means is here in this new mindset, with this new heart, with this new way of living, in this new self that is made alive with Christ, clothed in his righteousness, with minds that are fixed on heaven and hearts that are set on Christ. We see each other the way that God sees us, even our enemies, even those that have hurt us. We see each other the way that Christ sees us. And there is beauty in the distinctions and the differences between us. But in Christ, we are united together as one. I've been reminded of that again over the past few weeks as we celebrated Black History Month. And the stories that I've read and the podcasts that I've listened to, there is beauty in our diversity and there is nothing that should divide us, especially if we are in Christ. Listen, if we put up those barriers, then we are doing so acting out of the character of Christ that is forming in us. One of my closest friends is a guy named David Lee. David is the lead minister at uh, Clear Creek Christian Church down just uh, south of town. And David, man, that guy means so much to me just in the way that he's kind of poured into me over the few years, being new to the community. David's served at Clear Creek for 31 years, and um, he's just been, I, whenever Amber and I have been in a, a new place, we've prayed for a person of peace, and in so many ways, uh, David Lee has been a person of peace uh, for, for me and for us. Back in the fall, uh, David was diagnosed with lymphoma. And 
And his, di- his prognosis was good. In fact, I know many of you in here probably have been diagnosed with the same thing and have the same prognosis. His doctor told him that, uh, listen, you're probably going to die from something else, <laughs> but you're just going to kind of have to live with, with this. And still David went through, you know, all of the, the fears and conversations that he might have with his um, young boys, with his wife, with his church. And it was hard. It was a hard season for him. Still is. Um, but in late December, this prognosis that seemed like it would be 20 years before he has to really think about anything again, um, all of a sudden kind of took a turn for the worse. For some reason, it flared up, and David found himself in the hospital. And as he talked to his oncologist, and he said, you know, these treatments that I was hoping we wouldn't have to get to for a long time, uh, we need to start doing those now. And so since then, David's been undergoing chemotherapy. He's been receiving these injections for this particular type of lymphoma that has proven to be really successful. It's taken a toll on him. And in the midst of all of that, his father, who he said is just a, was a perfect example of the love of a heavenly father. Uh, his father passed away just a few weeks ago. And so David, this man who loves Jesus, who serves his church so well, is going through a really hard time. And so last Wednesday, there was a group of about 20 pastors from the community that got together to pray over David and, and his family. And as I looked around that room, there were a couple of things that came to mind. One, I love that I get to serve in a fraternity of ministers in this area that, that say, let's get together and pray for a brother, a co-laborer in Christ. I learned as I listened to these men pray that I still have a lot of growth in my prayer life. <laughs> And I learned and, and loved the fact that while there were so many things and, and, and differences in that room that could have divided us, and we were united around what mattered most. There were so many things that could have created gaps between us. Like if we started having a theological conversation about the importance of baptism, there would have been fire from heaven that could have possibly rained down <laughs> right there. There were so many theological beliefs and convictions that were different, this wide array. There were different races and ethnicities in that room, different ages and experiences. There were even some guys that there was some hurt that was between them. But of all the things that could have divided us, the one thing that united us was so much stronger, and it was our faith in Jesus and the image of the creator on us. When we put to death our old selves and take on the attitudes and the actions of Christ, man, we, we get this new wardrobe, these new clothes that we get to wear. And they are not clothes of uniformity. They are clothes of unity, even in our diversity. Unity around Christ who is all and who is in all, as Paul says in verse 11. And we need these new clothes as we put off the old and take on the new. We need these new clothes because as Mark Twain once said, clothes make the man. Naked people have little to no impact on society. (laughs) Our Heavenly Father doesn't just tell us to take off the old stuff. 
He gives us new clothes to wear that reflect the attitude and actions of Jesus and the person whose heart and mind are fixed on him. Look at what he says in verse 12. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone else, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. I can't read these verses without thinking of Jesus. And there's no words that better describe him. Jesus was compassionate and kind. He was humble and gentle and patient and forgiving and loving. These are the qualities that led Jesus to turn his face towards Jerusalem and set out for the cross. And by grace, we have received these things from Jesus. We have received his compassion and his kindness and his humility and his gentleness and his patience. We have received his love and his forgiveness. But listen, it doesn't stop there because by that same grace, we are able to not just experience them, we are able to live them out in our life. Our lives can be marked by that same compassion and kindness and gentleness and patience and forgiveness and love. These are the new clothes that God has given us to wear. They are the qualities that God is forming in us through Christ. And what God is doing in us ought to be felt and experienced in the relationships around us. Even when, maybe even especially when, there's this gap that is formed because of our actions. It's the virtue of love and compassion and humility that compels us to seek and ask for forgiveness, to, to seek reconciliation when we know that our actions have hurt someone else. And we, we do that because, because we know that we're loved and we're forgiven vertically and so let's pursue that horizontally. And, and so we, we're driven and motivated to not, not just sweep it underneath the rug or ignore it or hope that the other person forgets about it, and we are compelled to move towards people that we have hurt. It's love and kindness and humility that gives us the courage to forgive when we've been hurt. And that was what Alan talked about last week in his sermon. And, and, and man, I'm telling you, if you have not listened to it, if you missed last week, please go back. It is the best sermon on forgiveness that I have ever heard and all of the difficult nuances around this really hard subject. It's the example of our Heavenly Father that shows us that we can forgive even when we feel like we can't. And when these things all come together, we are able to experience true reconciliation. We are able to close those gaps that exist between us and keep them closed for good. And so in our lives, when there is a gap created in a relationship, when someone has hurt you or offended you, how can you respond more like Jesus and less like James and John? How can you respond with more love and less, let's burn this place to the ground? <laughs> Two things as we wrap up today. First, change your clothes. God's provided them. You just need to put them on. 
In verse 12, when Paul says, clothe yourselves, the verb tense indicates that this is something that we are responsible for. In other words, God is not going to dress us. He will lay them out, but there is a responsibility that we have to put them on. It takes some intentionality on our part. Like, I don't look at what I'm wearing right now and go, whoa, how did this get on me? (laughs) Like, around 6 a.m. this morning, I stood at my closet, I picked this out, and I put it on, and because of an unfortunate picture that I put up a couple weeks ago where I was wearing almost the exact same thing, um, I have to, like, think through myself, okay, is there any picture that's going to be of me wearing the same outfit this week um, like I had a couple of weeks ago? (laughs) So I go through all of that, and for good or bad, This was an intentional decision on my part this morning. (laughs) God does his part in changing our hearts. But in faith, we put on compassion and kindness and forgiveness and love. And it's not just clothes that we put on once and, and then they're on us for good. And sometimes they are clothes that we have to put on again and again and again and again. We don't passively sit back like infants waiting for God to dress us. We put on these new clothes that he has given us to wear and we start living out who he has made us to be in Christ. And so that's what uh, I guess means that like when, when something happens that creates a gap between you and someone else, you choose to put on the clothes that God has given you. You choose to put on love and compassion and humility instead of the old filthy rags of rage and anger, malice, gossip. Because of the gospel working in you and flowing in you, you can live and act in a way that closes those gaps. Another way that you can do that is by changing your focus. Luke 9, Jesus was focused on the cross. He set his face towards it and did not get caught up in the things that didn't matter or kept him from his ultimate goal. And when we focus on the cross and when we set our hearts and our minds on Jesus and the union that we have on him, when we fix our eyes on Jesus, the things of this world, the problems, the the, the offenses, the anger, the pride, all of it grows strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. The cross changes how we look at ourselves and others. And when we focus on the grace that we have received, then we are able to extend that grace to others. We are able to receive that grace when we confess and forgive and reconcile our relationships. We are able to close the gaps and keep them closed for good. So as we wrap up today, what clothes are you wearing? Do you find that your life is marked by rage and anger? Are your relationships suffering because of it? Are you harboring resentment and division that you just can't seem to let go of? Or is your pride keeping you from confessing how you have hurt someone and the the space between you and that person just keeps getting wider and wider? 
If you're already a follower of Jesus, maybe today is the day that you choose to take off the old and put on the new. Today is the day that you start letting God, what he is doing inside of you, be reflected outside of you in the way that you live and love others with compassion and humility and grace and forgiveness and all of those things. Maybe today is the day that you make that call and ask for someone's forgiveness that you know that you've hurt. Or if you're here today and you've never made the decision to start following Jesus, maybe today is that day. Jesus is offering you new life and a fresh start, and it starts when you put your faith in him, when you die to your old self in baptism and you take on his new life. And if you are ready to take that step, then we are ready to walk alongside of you. In fact, we're gonna have two people here in just a moment that are gonna get baptized. And so if you wanna join them, man, come forward during this time of response. Imagine what your relationship could look like if you began to look more like Jesus. Think about the peace and reconciliation that could happen if your relationships were defined more by compassion and kindness and gentleness than rage and anger and gossip and malice. When you clothe yourselves with Christ, not only is the space between you and God closed, but he gives you what you need to start closing those spaces with others and keeping them closed for good. Let's pray. Yeah, thank you for the work that you have been doing in our church over the last few weeks as we have looked at these difficult topics. And it truly is the gospel that has set the model for us. That Lord, you did everything in your power to create an opportunity for us to be forgiven. And when we confess that sin, when we turn from it, Lord, there is reconciliation that happens between us and between you because of our faith in Jesus. And God, my prayer over these last few weeks and today is that, that God, we will take what you have done for us, what you have modeled for us, and it will begin to influence and shape those relationships around us where gaps can so easily form from others' actions, from our actions. And Lord, I pray that you will do the work inside of us to transform us and that what is happening in us will be reflected outside of us as we clothe ourselves with those same mindsets and actions of Christ and his love and his compassion and his grace and his forgiveness. Lord, help us to look more like Jesus in how we live and act and how we love and treat others. And I pray it in his name. Thank you for listening to this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can watch all of our video content, both current and past, on our YouTube channel? Visit youtube.com slash Sherwood Oaks to watch messages, series, and complete worship services.